0: Hey, welcome to the Church Home Podcast. My name is David and I'm the CEO here at Church Home and I'm so glad that you've joined us today. In just a moment, you're gonna hear an encouraging message around the person of Jesus and his love for you. But if we can serve you as a community in any way, we would love to do so. And the best way for that to happen is for you to actually chat with one of our pastors and get connected, which you can do on our website at churchhome.org or through the Church Home app. And if you've been impacted in any way by this podcast in your walk and journey with Jesus, we'd like to invite you to exercise your faith by actually contributing financially to help tell the story of Jesus across the globe alongside Church Home. You can do so by texting the word GENEROSITY to the number 97000. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy this message.
1: Hey, welcome back, church, to a collection of messages and sermons we're doing entitled Father, Forgive Them, They Don't Know What They're Doing. That's a sentence expressed and said over and over and over by Jesus while being pinned to a cross. It was this statement, this phrase, this prayer, if you will, that is recorded that, well, I'm calling it probably the most important sentence in human history. And it can, pump, can completely, excuse me, it can completely change the whole way you view your world. From this sentence, we are taking five views of the world, five vistas that you can see yourself, God, the world, neighborhood, community, country, continent, through. The first view is, I have a father. I have a father. That's right. You have a father. The second view is I am forgiven. The third view is I am them. Them is me. Them is we. Fourth one, which we're going to talk about right here is I am not what I do. And lastly, the fifth and final vista, which we'll talk about next week, is this idea that I am, and I will be tempted to save myself. Those five perspectives, I truly believe, can transform your actual everyday life. This is part four. Part four, we're talking from this perspective that I am not what I do. Jesus says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, doing. There's so much doing down here, on earth. We do so much. You grow up as a kid, and you see adults doing adult stuff. You ever, you know what I mean? Like, you see them on their laptop, or you see them on their phone, or I remember thinking my dad's calls were so weighty and serious, you know? My dad's always on phone calls, right? My dad's in meetings. You remember being a kid thinking meetings were so important? And then you grow up, and you're on the phone calls, and you're in the meetings, and you realize they're not nearly as sensational and magnanimous—magnanimous magnanimous wouldn't be the word—but monumental, maybe maybe as we thought they were. It's just life, but we persist here on earth thinking that what we're doing is a big deal. It's very obvious where I think, probably where I'm going in this message and the message is this. We're going to look at this idea of who you are. Who you are is not what you do. Who you are is who God made you to be. That's who you are. So obviously, we're going to emphasize being over doing. Now, that's cliche, and a lot of people say that. We're human beings, not human doings, and yet it is true. And I want us to take a little bit of time to wade into these waters and soak for a few minutes. How much of our identity, how much of our worth, how much of our value, how much of our emotional stability is connected to what we do or don't do? Think about it. Think about how many days you spent complaining, distraught, discouraged, and distracted by what you still haven't done with your life. You know how many people I've met with who say things like, I'm 35 and I still haven't. Man, I'm 24 and I still want to. you believe, Jude? I'm 45 years old and I've never done. And we focus so much of our life here on doing. The view that we're considering is what if you lived your life from this conviction? I am not what I do. What I do doesn't determine who I am, but who I am determines what I do, what I do. Now, interesting because let's talk for a few moments about work does work? A lot of people believe that work at the beginning of time in the providence and plan of God, that work was some sort of a curse, that work was the result that man erred and did wrong. And so God gave them work to do to teach them and punish them when in reality, work is a blessing. Work is a gift. Long before there was sin, Adam and Eve, the original man and woman is recorded in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. They, they actually had a job and it was to tend a garden. Landscaping was their first job. Tending to the fruit trees, tending to the blackberry bushes, tending to whatever it might, they they were tending a garden. God gave them this utopia, this, this, this nirvana, this garden to live in, and he said, "Take care of it, and it was a joy, and it was an honor. They tended to the flowers and the and the plants and the probably the vegetables and and then the the animals and the garden. It was this perfect, literally perfect place. but here's the part I find interesting, and you can find this in Genesis chapter three. It literally records in Genesis chapter three that I'm just hoping it's going to come on the screen. There we go. (laughs) I'll go back to that. Recorded in Genesis chapter 3, I find this record very interesting. It says this in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, And they, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, And it says they hid themselves because by then they had made selfish decisions to serve themselves, what the Bible defines as sin. But but notice, God did not come for an inspection of their work. He came for a connection and a conversation. In fact, the first question God ever asked man, where are you? Not, what have you done? Hey, Come trim the rose bushes. Hey, Adam, are you here? The the apples need picking. Eve, you said that you were going to take care of the cucumbers. Right? Like, Adam, when are you mowing the lawn? We don't have any record of that. He's like, oh, Judah, come on. No, I'm serious. God the Father didn't come for an inspection. He came for a connection. He didn't come to make sure they got all their box checked. Did you get my checklist? Did you get your duties done? Did you get your chores done? He came to connect. Walking in the cool of the day, he came to connect and converse with Adam and Eve, which amplifies for you and me, what is this all about? Is this about you're born, you develop a, a gift, a trade, a talent, an ability, and then you work it, you get paid, and that's life? No, work is a gift, no doubt, but it's not the point. People are the point. Relationship is the point. Relationship is the goal, not career, relationship. Not accolades, connection. Not inspection, conversation. This is what God's after. This is what matters most in life ever noticed trends in your own journey where all of the sudden executing projects, programs, and systems become more important than connecting people? I shudder to share with you the truth about human history, that over many, many years and centuries and thousands of years, we It is a classic trait of human beings to overemphasize systems and projects so much so that we will torture and enslave one another, another human being, to fulfill our project, build our edifice, and stay and stick in our systems. This is a big deal. This doing over being is a problem. This doing over being has caused us to hurt one another and devalue one another. It is actually super important, isn't it, that you believe that being is more important than doing. I am not here, this message is not about this sermon, this episode, this installment is not about doing, it doesn't matter, doing doesn't matter. No, doing matters. Whatever your hand finds to do, do with all your might, the scripture says. So it's important what you do. God gives gifts and talents and abilities, and I love talking and I love speaking. Never know what I'm gonna say next, it's enjoyable, but that's a lot of what I do. I do a lot of talking and meeting and connecting and helping, but the doing is never more important to God in my life than the being, but that happens, doesn't it? Have you ever in your own life felt the despair of the delta between what you do and who you be? Isn't it wild that what you do starts to get way out in front of and removed from who you actually are? And now all of a sudden, based on what you do, people think you're here, but in truth, you're, you're here. Uber successful people with all the accolades and accomplishments that our culture demands and cries for, and yet who they actually are is broken and lonely and isolated and misunderstood and misrepresented. But based on what they do, we conclude they are success. And yet Jesus says, what does it profit a man? By doing to gain the whole world, but in the process, lose his soul. Who or he, he or she actually is your soul. Your soul. Who are you? Who you are is who you be, being. Who you are right now, not what you do. That's a hard exercise, isn't it? I do it all the time. Based on what I do, I inform myself that I'm okay. Now, you can't preach good sermons and be a bad person, so you must be a good guy. And yet, the Scripture doesn't make that connection. Scripture doesn't make it. You you can do really good stuff and be bankrupt on the inside, can't you? You can accomplish incredible achievements in this earth and in the process, neglected the who you really are. Being is far more important than doing. And of course, the sooner you develop this view, this worldview, you, well, you begin to change the trajectory of your life. I am not what I do. Do you believe that? Or are we waiting for the inspection of God or the inspection of culture to tell us, you did good, therefore you are good. No, 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 no. God wants to talk to you, the human being, not you, the human doing. This is good news now. This is good news because so much of our value is ascribed to what we do, and yet with God, value is ascribed by who he made you to be. That's good news. You ever felt behind? You know, we've, we've got all these Unusual categories and ways we honor people. You know, the top fifty, under thirty to do, under forty, all these lists. Fastest growing, youngest, oldest, newest, latest, and we have all of these categories in which we honor each other and make people feel special. And so we have these arbitrary lists and timeframes and timetables that that exhaust us and fatigue us because we're like, I should be further along. At a certain age, I should be married with kids. At a certain age, I should be retired. At a certain age, I should be informed. At a certain age, I should be celebrated. At a certain age, I should have a certain amount of money. And we put these timelines that are so finite and fickle and earthbound, and we think that that's how God sees us, and he doesn't. Bible says he put eternity in your heart. He treats you as an eternal being, not a temporary time traveler who's here for but a moment. This life that's a vapor. He treats you as the eternal being you are. It's like when my 16 year old wants to talk about being 16, and I tell him all the time son, I'm not too interested in you, the 16 year old. I got to prepare you for you, the 26, 36, and 46, meaning this teenage thing will be over before you know it, and adulthood will be long. Can you be who you are for the long duration of adulthood? Trying to prepare my kids, not so much for doing, but being. The income that my children create, I have to trust God with that, but my priority is not that they just curate Paper associated with the ability to purchase things. But can they be? Can they be? Stillness is an indicator of whether or not I can be. Am I being well? Uh, listening? Whew, I like to talk. Are we listening? Being has to do with listening. Being has to do with Asking questions. Being has to do with admiring, acknowledging, quieting, stilling, slowing, breathing. Now you're like, Judah, are we doing yoga? (laughs) But but, but seriously, just being, we like to call being present. So here's what I want to do. I want to show you three ways that being is better than doing. Three ways that being is better than doing in an effort to motivate you to begin to prioritize and emphasize in your life who you are, not merely and simply what you do. Keeping in mind now, we're trying to unpack here, trying to unravel that, uh, well, unhealthy connection we have to thinking that what I did defines who I am. That is a slippery slope that never ends up serving up what the individual who possesses it thinks it will, right? It's real convenient when things are going great, but when things get challenging, all of a sudden our identity crumbles because it was anchored to what we do. Three ways. Three ways doing is not nearly as good as being. Number one. Being is from, not for. Being is from the gift of God. It's from the love of God, not for. Which is to say, oftentimes we do things for. I did that for. Did that for paycheck. Did that for neighbor. Did that for friend. Being is this Incredible state of accepting, receiving from not for. Now, I like to say it like this. There's a story where Jesus goes to visit some friends, Mary and Martha. Martha's the older sister. Mary's the younger sister. Martha's kind of a doer. Mary's kind of an artist. Martha's a concrete sequential, kind of likes to make things sure things are done. Thank God for those individuals. Mary's kind of the creative, abstract, random artist who just kind of wants to enjoy life. And in this one particular scenario the scripture lets us in on, uh, Martha's in the kitchen fixing food for Jesus because she's like, if I have God, in my home. I'm going to fix him something. I'm going to do something for him. And Mary is crisscross applesauce in front of Jesus in the family room. And here's my question. Are you going to spend the rest of your days with God in the kitchen, or are you going to come sit down in the family room? Because it's time to be, not just do but i fear that many of us in our teachings and our and in speaking now specifically to christians and jesus followers if i could be so bold with you how many of your days a week are in the kitchen And how many of your days of the week are in the family room? That's right, the room set aside for the family and you are the son, you are the daughter, you belong to him, he loves you, he made you primarily for his own enjoyment, primarily for his own connection and relationship and my question is, are you busy in the kitchen most of the days of the week, fixing, working and trying to do things for God or are you in the family room with your carpet square. Y'all remember carpet squares from first grade? Criss-cross applesauce on your carpet square. Just admiring, adoring, and listening to Jesus. I just think the church needs to spend a lot more time in the family room. I think sermons need to be preached towards the family room. Sermons need to be preached from the family room. Sermons need to preach about the family room. We are so busy handing out recipes of ways you can fix, prepare, do, and become. And my question is, oh, when, when will we be? When will we be? Now, I think I know why this is a struggle for us, because when we're in the kitchen, it feels good because we're doing something. I'm serious. Yesterday, I fixed some, some burgers um, and, and some sweet potato fries for my friends, and then I made some, some eggs, and the eggs were a mess, okay? I forgot to put the olive oil in the pan, so the eggs got all sticky, and I'm fixing this thing. But, you know, my friends are saying, oh, man, thanks for fixing, you know, this dinner. This is great. Wow, Chef Judah, whatever. It's, it's Come on. It's, it's, it's not that nice. It's not that great. But, yeah, it feels kind of smooth. Spe- like, yeah, I made some burgers, some sweet potato fries. You know, like that, yeah, fix some stuff. And that feels good. It feels like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I did something. Isn't it funny? Then if I would have called in an order, and brought it in, it just wouldn't feel quite the same. Now, that feeling isn't inherently wrong. But if completely catered to and focused on for an extended period of time, it actually can become very counterproductive. Now I'm doing things to receive compliments. Now I'm doing things. Now I'm cooking eggs and fix, fixing burgers and sweet potato fries so that I get the compliment. So people tell me you're good, you're doer. What you do is good. What you do is you know when in truth we we all mess up the eggs. And in this case like oftentimes we're in the kitchen for God. Like he needs us in the kitchen. Seriously. Well, come on church, we got to go do well, God's God which means he can do whatever he wants to the level that he wants to the magnitude that he wants and so if he's God he doesn't need anybody. Doesn't need anybody. Doesn't need anybody. He his kitchen is just him and whatever he cooks is perfect. But we persist and we want to go in the kitchen and show God that we got something. And Martha's says to Jesus, can you tell Mary to come help me in the kitchen? And Jesus says, nah, nah. And listen, Jesus says, Mary chose what's more important to me and what's better. And that's the family room. I think the kitchen's important. I just think the family room's more important. I want to live in the family room. Yeah, I want to live in the family. I believe that God wants us in the family room from, not for, not in the kitchen working for him, sitting in the family room, listening from his acceptance, his love, and his approval. I, um, I wonder sometimes if we need to keep less track of what we do tell less people what we do, and just be, and just be. Challenging, challenging thoughts, challenging views, certainly challenging for me. Three ways being is better than doing. Number two, not only is being from, not for, but being is now, not later. Now not later. Uh, so much of doing is what I'm going to do and what's gonna come as a result of what I do, but when you are just being, when you are who you are, not I am what I do, then you are right now. You ever had this thought, I, I gotta better myself, and you're like, I'm gonna do the work so that I can better myself. Not inherently wrong, I get it, I totally understand what yours, but if that is your whole Life, you will constantly be the personal mechanic who's constantly tweaking and never resting, reclining, and receiving his love. Are you constantly tweaking, cooking, working. No, we're, we're, I truly, truly believe that we're to live now. We're to live right here and right now. Can I? A man by the name of George McDonald, he was a hero to C.S. Lewis, and he he wrote this. I should say MacDonald, I believe, is how it's pronounced. He says, it's not the cares of today, but the cares of tomorrow that weigh a man down. For the needs of today, we have corresponding strength given from God. For the morrow, we're told to trust. It's not ours yet. It is when tomorrow's burden is added to the burden of today that that weight is more than a man can bear. Think about it. When you're always doing, always thinking about, and then tomorrow, and then tomorrow. And yet, tomorrow, we're told to trust God about tomorrow because tomorrow is not in our possession Listen to what Mark Twain said. This is, this is so good. Mark Twain says, I've had a great and many troubles in my life, most of which never happened. Oh, right, that's it. Oh, man, I have had a ton of trouble in my life, most of which never came to pass. What do they say? 85% of the things we worry about never manifest or actually happen in our life. That's where we're at. Human doings trying to hold on to tomorrow, which isn't even here yet and doesn't even ours. is very presumptuous even to think as if it does. So many of our troubles and pain is around these, this view of the world that what I do makes me who I am. Therefore, today on Monday, I gotta make sure that I'm gonna nail it on Tuesday, and yet all you have is Monday, and Monday will never be Tuesday, and Tuesday will never be Wednesday, and today will never be tomorrow, for when tomorrow comes, it'll only ever be today, now. Are you a now person, or are you a later person? I've noticed, too, that when you start to ascribe your worth from what you do, you always put off things that are important. I'm being really serious. You put off the dentist appointment. You put off the doctor's appointment. You put off some self-care. You put off some margin and some time to rest and some time to think through your thoughts. You, You put off improving your diet. You put off improving, getting a little bit more stretching or maybe making time for someone to help you stretch or assess or do Blood work, my naturopath is always asking for blood work. Well, it takes time and effort to draw your blood and get all the work done, and but you need ability to be present. And I get caught up in the ferocious velocity by which we are all traveling because in so much of the Western world, we amplify what we do and have done and will do. One category that some of my friends are affected by is you know, artists or entertainers who are projected to be the next. <laughs> those are rewards we give out, those are accommodations we give out to each other. Oh, you're the next person to do. Not that anyone knows, but we're predicting, and that person's already expected to be. Yeah, yeah, in the future. We're... And then we're all with vision, but when vision takes over the ability to smell the grass and look at the flowers and see the hummingbird hover, we have quite missed the point of being alive. We are to be. Are we being? And lastly, uh, three ways uh, uh, being is is better than doing. Uh, Being is predictable, not circumstantial. It's predictable, not circumstantial. Hebrews 13, Jesus says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. Ooh, one of the most beautiful things about God is is he is consistent. Maybe predictable isn't the best word for God, but consistent is. It's consistent. Being, you can count on that. You just be. Doing, doing a lot of circumstances around your doing. It's a lot of elements and variables around your doing, but being, that's predictable. That's every day. I can count on that. The definition for holiness is consistency. To be holy, God says be holy for I'm holy. It means to go in the same direction for a very, very long time. Integrity, holiness, be, be. Challenge for all of us, no doubt. But I love that this entire concept seems to culminate in the character of God. He's consistent. He's consistent. When we focus on being, here it is, we will become, and no doubt, more like Jesus. But when we focus on doing, oftentimes we become a caricature of who we really are. Prone to identify more with doing and career accolades and accomplishments than the state of our soul and what lights us up and makes us passionate or hurts our heart and makes us sad. Who are you? But that's not what we ask, is it? We ask each other, what do you do? Hey, what's your name? What do you do? And there it is, isn't it? Bit of a tell. Bit of a tell on our culture, our priorities, our focus, and what we think is important. And yet, what's important to God is not that you have tended your garden perfectly. It's that within your garden, you can be with him. You can be with him. And so I welcome you today to make that statement. I am not what I do. What I do is important and admirable. The awards and accolades and uh, I'll be the first one to congratulate, party, celebrate what you have accomplished. Oh, certainly that matters to God. But I hope the order is in its divine space and place. That what you do flows from who you are. Who you are is not forced to identify merely with what has been done or accomplished. Simple, I know. Easier said than done, no doubt. But I believe God will help you and help me. He's gracious and he's kind. I get the sense that even without our own church, God is not mean to Martha. Jesus is not mean to Martha. He doesn't shame Martha. But when Martha says, tell Mary to get up and do something, God says, oh, ironically, really, what she's doing, which is being, that's the most important thing in life. And I pray that you and I travel, not at the speed of light and strife, with accolades and accomplishments as our zenith goal and point, but that we travel with the unforced rhythms of grace. And we are caught up with the connection and the communication with God more than what we can do for him and the amazing uh, things we can accomplish. I love you, church. I I realize that what we're talking about here is no small thing, but I hope and pray that, once again, these messages and sermons are like starters. They're almost like an appetizer to diving in that conversation and research and study. God, show me what it means to be and not be preoccupied with merely doing. He will. He's faithful. God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to rehearse again who you are and what you've called us to. We love you. Oh, God, help us to be present now, still listening, learning, receiving, resting. Before, and far more important, than our doing, our projects, our plans, our systems, our work, our jobs. Help us, God. It's so hard down here sometimes understanding the difference between the two. Strengthen us now. If you'd like to receive Jesus and his forgiveness, you can do that right now wherever you are in the world. Just say, I receive. It's done. You're forgiven forever. Jesus is yours, and now... You get to primarily be with him. That's the goal. Relationship, not accomplishment relationship. And I'm so excited as this journey begins for you. We love you, church. And I know we'll see each other again real soon.